Hi there, I'm Keaton. Thanks for checking out one of our messages today. We would love to get connected with you and your family. One easy way that you can do that is by texting River Connect. That's one word to the number 97,000. You can also head to our website, theriverchurch.cc, to learn more about us in upcoming events. Lastly, if you want to give to the River Church, you can text the amount that you want to give to 84321 or head to our website and click the Give tab. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Good morning, church. My name is Roy Townsend. I'm the grow pastor here at the River Church, and it's my privilege to be here this morning with you. We've had such an exciting time. As Pastor Jason said, we're going to be in Ruth chapter 3. Always want to welcome our guests. We are so glad that you are here. We want to connect with you, as he said. I'm also just reflecting on our February as a church, our family month. We have been so excited and challenged by the activity of the church. We know that everyone, when we say family month, sometimes people go, oh, you know, my family. You know, they don't have warm fuzzies always about their family. And we as a church want you to know that we take that seriously. We understand that. But we also know that God instituted the family and that there's an attack on the family in many ways. And so we want to do whatever we can do to support you and to support the family. I think of the activities that we've had, right? It wasn't just the teaching from the book of Ruth, but we've had a mother-son night. We've had a daddy-daughter dance. I mean, just packed with people for those two events. Super exciting. Sometimes people go, well, why would you do that? Why? Well, we do it because we know that the church believes in the importance of dads and moms and children, right? Sons and daughters. We want to do whatever we can to help, to reinforce, to assist that. Last Friday night, a bunch of us got together, about 90 couples got together for a date night, married couples date night. And we square danced and line danced and ate barbecue and wore a cowboy hat and you know, had a good time. But sometimes people go, well, why would you do that? Because we know that the marriages of our church are under attack. We don't want to just sit back and put it on cruise control. We want to be proactive in trying to help and to teach and to support what it is that we know God has called us to be. Not only the family of God, right, as we gather together as the body of Christ, but your individual family. Anything we can do to support that. We have one more event coming up at the end of the month, and it's for everybody. Anybody, come be with the family. We have roller skating rinks and bowling alleys that we've rented out the 25th of February. So please, you know, make your plans to be with us. Go to the website and register for that. It's also been a blessing for me as we have been going through the book of Ruth. And I know some of you are new and just catching up, so I just wanted to give us a quick synopsis. You know, in week one of the book of Ruth, Pastor Jason was really talking to us about how The family has joy and sorrow. And for those of you that don't know, the book of Ruth starts out with Naomi and her husband, and they are caught in a famine, and they choose to leave the land that God had promised to his people and go to a foreign nation because they think it'll be better there. Maybe there'll be food there, right? Kind of taking God out of the equation and kind of taking things into their own hands because they knew they were called to be in the promised land. But while Naomi is there, her two boys 
they need to get married. They're to the age to get married. So they find wives, right? They find wives from this foreign country. And then they lose, they lose their husbands. All three women lose their husbands. And the sadness and the sorrow that happens. But Jason, Pastor Jason mentioned how she decides she's going to go home. She's coming home to the promised land. And how Ruth decides to join her. And in Ruth chapter 2, we get introduced. Once they get there, Ruth probably thought, boy, this is going to be tough. We're going to be two widows living together. She's a foreigner in now a country that doesn't even really like her. And they're going to have to rely on the, the goodness of the people to be able to be fed because they have no husbands, they have no children, they have no means of support, and they have to go out and gather the food. And really, we know from the scriptures that Naomi was probably thinking their lives were going to be poverty, right? They were going to be poverty-stricken. They were going to have to gather food on the corners of the fields and glean what was left over. And it's a very, very tough existence But then we're introduced to a man named Boaz. And that man named Boaz takes an interest in Ruth. And he provides for her in many ways. And he protects her. And he gives her some wisdom. Hey, come stay at my field. I'll make sure you're protected. Hey, I told my men to leave some extra food for you. You can eat with my men. You can have cups to drink of water with my men. And so she now has been given this wonderful kindness. And I know some of you have been excited about Ruth because we start getting text messages all the time. You know, what's going on with this? What's going on with that? And we absolutely love getting those text messages. I got one this week. People were super excited about it. The text thread said, hey, what was Boaz before he got Ruth? Right? What was he before he got Ruth in this story? What was going on? And so it's a big text thread with a bunch of the pastors on it. And one of the pastors goes, well, what do you mean? In what context is this question? Do you mean like he was a farmer? Or are you asking if he was single? And then the person responded, no, I guess he was ruthless. <laughs> with a crying, laughy face emoji. I'm just so glad I didn't answer that question, (laughs) right? Because I was wondering some of the same things, you know? But I know that's a terrible joke, and I wanted to tell you, I'm not ruthful about it at all. (laughs) Not ruthful about it. I don't care. It's a joke, right? It's a joke. Pastor Jason did a, a good job of setting this up, and as the scriptures teach us the narrative of this story, we begin to realize that this is going to be a beautiful love story. We can see God's hand in making this terrible situation even better, right? Making it right. All the things seem to be coming together. You know, Naomi decides to go home and it happens to be harvest time. Wow, isn't that a coincidence? And Ruth decides to go with her and demands to go with her. Wow, isn't that a coincidence, you know? And when they get there, she just happens to go to this one farmer's field. His name is Boaz. Wow, what a coincidence. And you know, Boaz just decided to leave his house that day and go visit that field. Wow, what a coincidence. And when he sees her, he asks who she is. And he gives instructions for her protection. And gives instructions for her to be provided for. Wow, you you start to get the feeling like this is going to be a beautiful, beautiful love story. It happens in an honorable way that Boaz was an honorable man. And then in Ruth chapter 2, verse 20, 
It says, and Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. The living there being Ruth and Naomi who now have this food, but also his kindness for the dead, which would be his dead relatives, Naomi's husband and Ruth's husband. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And so today, we're going to be talking about this concept of a redeemer, redemption, okay? So we can see in the story, though, as we begin chapter 3 here, that Naomi's mind starts to change. Oh, wait a second. Wow, that's neat. We can start to see how God's working and moving. And then Naomi, you know, I, I mentioned this earlier in the week to somebody, and, you know, they started talking about, you know, oh, is, is she being like a, a busybody? Is she being a matchmaker? Matchmaker, make me a match, right, from the, from the movie, right? Just wondering, like, what's going on here? Is Naomi trying to force this situation? And, of course, we hope not. We hope not. But in Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, we'll start there. It says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Really, verse 1 is a reference there. That rest is trying to find her a husband, right? That rest is so that she doesn't have to live in this poverty-stricken situation, right? Is not Boaz our relative? Verse 2 with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Then it goes on in verse 3. It says, Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. And he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. Now, one of the commentators that I enjoy reading is Warren Wiersbe. And Warren Wiersbe said, listen, we have to keep in mind that the book of Ruth is much more than a record of a marriage between a rejected foreigner, a rejected alien, to a respected Jew. It is also the picture of Christ's relationship to those who trust him and belong to him. So as much as we all can love a good story, right? You know, like, aw, he treated her nice. Aw, right? You know, like, it's like, oh, I can just see us all drawn in, like, like a Hallmark movie, right? Like, oh, that's so, he's such a good man. He's such a good man. But then we start to wonder about Naomi's advice, right? Part of the advice that we see here seems to make sense, you know, Uh, verse 3. Wash yourself. Yeah, yeah. That sounds like good advice if you're looking for a husband or if you're looking for a wife, right? I mean, I worked in middle school, elementary school, and high school, and I I have a whole speech about wash yourself. Take a bath. The rest of us don't want to smell it, right? So, yes, we say, oh, man, that check the box. That makes good sense. You're going out on a date looking for a mate. Take a bath, okay? Like, oh, that makes sense, okay. And then she says, you know, anoint yourself. Anoint yourself. Like, okay, now at this time, you know, obviously bathing is difficult and smells are difficult, but using the oils to make sure you smell good. You know, like I remember the middle schoolers, this is one of the things we had to tell them to do less of because they thought... 
I don't need to wash myself. I can just use a whole can of Axe body spray. And then I will smell good. And then I'm like, no, you make me want to puke twice, okay? I want to smell from the Axe body spray I want to puke. And from your smell I want to puke, right? So no, it's wash yourself then a little bit of Axe body spray, right? But we all, we all seem to understand as we're reading this story, it makes sense. Take a bath, make sure you smell good, right? And then put on a cloak, right? Okay, no, so now it's worried. Make sure that you look nice. Make sure that you look attractive, okay? Like, man, I like this, you know, check. You know, make sure you're wearing what you're supposed to wear, looking attractive, you're looking to find a husband or to find a mate, right? Seems to make sense. But honestly, from that point on, the advice sounds a little stalkerish to me. I mean, in today's world, we would call the cops, right? We would look for a PPO order against somebody. Like, you know, like, oh, Naomi's like, I know where he's going to be. He's going to be down at the threshing floor tonight, right? And yeah, take a bath and put on nice clothes and make sure you smell good. But then, you know, Watch him. Make sure he gets all his work done. Watch him. You know, make sure he's eaten, you know, and, and had his drink, right? Make sure he gets some rest before you happen upon him. So this is really weird. Now, for some of us, we might wonder, what is a threshing floor? For those of you that don't know, just real quickly, a threshing floor would have been a community space on the outskirts of town. It would typically be up on a hill, And it would be either an elevated platform or a large rock. And then the farmers of the community would bring their harvest in and they would take the stalks and they would beat them against the rock. And they would separate the stalk from the fruit or the barley, right, or the wheat, okay? And so what's left, but it would be a very difficult job. It would be a hard job. So they wanted it to be elevated and up on a hill so that you would get a breeze, so it wouldn't overwhelm you. And you would do it at night so that the desert sun wasn't hurting you, right? And then they would take that, the harvest, and they would kind of throw it up in the air because there was a husk or a kernel around what you wanted, the barley or the wheat. And the breeze would then separate the chaff from the harvest, right? And we, we okay, now it makes sense. But during this time of judges, This was really interesting to me because Pastor Jason said this. The scripture tells us that man did what he thought was right in his own. It wasn't about following the law. It wasn't about doing what was right. It wasn't about doing what was good. So that as the man would do this, he'd have to sleep there to protect the harvest because people would come and try to steal it. They would come to try to steal part of it. So... Naomi knows what's going to happen here. He's going he's to work real hard, then he's going to eat dinner and drink, and he's going to be a little happier, and then he's going to go to sleep because he's tired, and he's going to go to sleep right there. But the advice is for her to get ready and kind of go meet him there unannounced. Let him fall asleep and then come up to him. And so most commentators say, listen, this would have been, if she was potentially going to be abused or hurt during the day, at the field, in front of everybody, how much more could she have been hurt by going to the threshing floor at night? Most of the scriptures, when you, when you hear description of the threshing floor at night, most of the women that arrived there at night were somebody who was going to sell their body for sexual immorality. So that was, hey, 
I don't want this, but this is kind of weird. This advice is you're going to go during that time, you know, and what's going to happen and who else could stumble upon her. So that's why I say, you know, it just seems a little weird. Like, oh, I know, I know where he's going to be and I know what he's going to be doing, right? So the commentaries that I read, they were super split on this issue. Is this good advice, you know, or is this Naomi trying to get in the way of what God has? So let's go on. Verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of a heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man, being Boaz, was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now this is where, you know, it's interesting to me, we might not fully understand, right? This isn't how we would say how finding a husband or finding a mate, right, how it would take place. We get a little weird about it. It's like, oh, this doesn't make sense, you know. But we can see here, she came softly, coming to him, uncovered his feet, laid down by his feet. There's something tender about this moment. But then he was startled. You know, it's midnight. It's pitch black. He's at the threshing floor. What do you think he thinks the woman wants who's at his feet? Okay? It's interesting to think, who are you? He can't even see her and know who she is. And then she explains who she is. I can tell you, uh, I, I can empathize with Boaz. I think he did a nice job. You know, My wife would tell you that uh, you startle me awake, it's not a pretty picture. It doesn't matter how rational your conversation is, it is not a good thing. Okay, I tell people I'm like a bear cat or I don't know what, you know, like just, you know, my kids, you know, they know if dad's already asleep, you know, softly around to wake up mom, right? Because dad may not respond the correct way. So I can only empathize with Boaz as he's startled awake and there's this woman at my feet and what does she want and who is she? But she says, I am Ruth, your servant. It's interesting. Most of the other references to Ruth that we've seen so far, she's a widow. She's a, a Moabitess. You know, she's a foreigner. But this time, she's his servant, asking him to spread his wings over her. So this is, this is really weird, right? Her answer seems weird to us. What is going on? This concept of spreading your wings, okay, or spreading laying your cloak over them. We don't understand it, right? We're, we're not like, this doesn't make sense to me. But we know throughout the scripture, this concept of the spreading of the wing, it was a way of saying, you belong to me. I'm going to spread my wing out in protection of who that is. We see it with Elijah, the prophet, when he comes upon Elisha, who's going to be his assistant. And Elisha is working in the field, and the scripture records that he spreads out his cloak, and like, now you, I'm calling you. God is calling you to come be with me, to be mine. In this way, she's saying, spread your wing. Hey, I'm in this bad situation. I'm a foreigner. My husband is dead. 
We're having to glean, pick up the food on the corners of the field, right? I need help. I'm in a difficult situation. Would you please spread your wing? Call me your own. Make me your wife. It's a beautiful picture. We know that God did this with the Jewish nation. In Ezekiel 16, verse 8, it says, When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age of love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. So this is God, a reference to God speaking to the Jewish nation as he calls the nation out of slavery. And he's going to put his wing or his cloak of protection around them. And they are now called back to him. They are called mine. He is saying, she is asking Boaz to call her his, to redeem that situation. He is the redeemer. It is a beautiful picture of marriage, one that we don't often understand. But then she goes on and talks about this concept of the redeemer. Now, I know I love Idioms. I love to study the English language. I love to talk about things that, you know, it's like really weird to me sometimes. Like we think we understand the word redeem. But in our lives, what do we redeem? I was thinking about this. Like what do we redeem? Now I know a lot of females in the room said coupons. I redeem coupons. You know, I know a lot of the men say, I don't redeem coupons. What do I redeem? So I know, like, when I go to Menards, and they say, hey, take this little thing and fill out this, get your 11% back, right? And we're going to mail you a little card in the mail, and it's going to be worth money. You can redeem that at Menards to buy stuff. Now, my wife and I, we have remodeled a lot of houses, and at one time, like, I had some serious, serious cash in these Menard rebates. But if I don't put them in my pocket... And take them to Menards and have them with me when I'm checking out to redeem them. Because I often don't have it when I need it. How useful is that rebate? People say, well, it's worth it. If I don't take it and take it with me to redeem it, what is it worth? It's worthless. It doesn't, it's not worth anything. If somebody doesn't take that rebate and take it with them, it's worthless. You know, my wife and I, when the kids were little, we, uh, we kind of got into that extreme couponing. You guys know what I'm talking about? Don't, don't make me look like I'm the only weirdo there is here today. You know, we're trying to save money and, you know, we're watching, you know, and we're, for those of you that don't know, we had to go get a newspaper because the coupons were in the newspaper. You can Google it, okay? You can look it up, okay? And the newspaper had the coupons, and then we cut out the coupons, and my wife is super organized, and she had a book, and we'd put the coupons in, in certain order, you know, and you know, man, if you take this coupon, it's, you know, if you buy two, you get three for free, and if you take the coupon on Tuesday, it's a double coupon. So the two, you only have to buy one, and you get five, Right? And so I'm like, oh, man, this is great. I don't know why I need five electric toothbrushes today, but I'm getting five. I buy one, I'm getting five, right? 
you know, look at me, I'm dry, you know. And our kids had a special room in the basement we called the store because we had so much stuff from couponing, you know, that we had all this stuff and we give to people and share with people and use. Of course, it was great, you know. Hey, I wonder if I need something. Oh, go down to the store, go downstairs, right? But again, we would cut out coupons that we never redeemed. So even though that coupon could get me five electric toothbrushes for free on a Tuesday after the full moon, I don't know what else was needed, you know, what else I had to do, okay? I'm sure there was something else, but I don't remember, okay? What do you do? You know, well, we threw away thousands of dollars of coupons that we chose not to redeem. When I'm at Menards sometimes, and I know that little green stupid rebate is at home, many times I pay for my purchase out of pocket. The real meaning of out of pocket, for those of you that don't know, I talked about that last time. I paid for it with the money from my pocket. And it's interesting. Like that's the only time that I can think about really in our culture that we really have a, maybe a good understanding of what it means to redeem something. Well, now we know from the story of Ruth, we are going to see this picture. Not only how in Old Testament times where the Jewish nation was called God's people, and then now we know that Jesus Christ is introduced into this picture. We see a picture of who Jesus Christ is. One definition of a kinsman redeemer is a relative who restores or preserves the full community rights of a disadvantaged family member. You say, well, I don't understand what this means. And it's like, well, a kinsman redeemer, at this time, Ruth and Naomi could not redeem the land that her husband owned. Because when he died, the land should have went to his children, his oldest child. But yet, his oldest child is dead, and there's no offspring. So they would need, in their legal system, a kinsman redeemer, somebody in the family line, to come and redeem that so that that property then could be used. Sometimes a kinsman redeemer, for Ruth in this case, her husband died and she didn't have a child. So a kinsman redeemer would come along, it's the system that God had set up, and redeem the situation and maybe provide an heir, right? Sometimes it was somebody, you know, somebody killed somebody in your family and the kinsman redeemer, because they didn't have 911, they didn't call the police. So you call the kinsman redeemer was going to come and avenge the murder or the death. Okay? Maybe someone in your family did something wrong and now they owe a bunch of money and they don't have it. And so they would go to the kinsman redeemer and say, are you going to come along and redeem this situation? Are you going to do the best you can to make this situation right. Well, from a worldly perspective, I don't know that you could get much worse than Ruth's situation. And she is looking for Boaz. She is asking Boaz to redeem her tough situation by marrying her, which will provide her with the rest or the marriage that Naomi was talking about in chapter one. But this picture is even more beautiful for us The concept of the kinsman redeemer starts with God's covenant with Israel. But when Jesus Christ comes and dies on the cross, we know that the kinsman redeemer, somebody who's going to redeem us, it goes from being that awe story to a beautiful story that we can understand. This is more than a story about a widow finding an honorable man 
to redeem her situation. This is better than a Hallmark movie, right? If you miss that Jesus Christ is our redeemer, is the redeemer for humanity, you have missed the reason that we gathered today. Some people say, where do you get this? In Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. So we know that we need redemption, and we know that God sent his son to be that redeemer. Some people say, well, you know, what, what does this really mean? How, how did that happen? How would this, you know, I don't know that I need to be redeemed. Some people are pretty hard and callous, and they say, you know what, I don't care. I don't want to be redeemed. I want to be the rebate stuck at home when you're at the cash register. I want to be the coupon that is thrown out. I don't want to be redeemed. I think I'm good enough without the Redeemer. John 3, verses 17 and 18. It says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So it really doesn't matter that you want to be the coupon left in the booklet. It doesn't matter that you want to be the rebate that never makes its way back to the store. You and I are condemned already. If someone doesn't choose to come along and redeem us, then we are condemned. And we know what that condemnation means. It means that we would spend eternity separated from God and we will spend eternity in hell. But how did Jesus Christ provide this redemption? He told his disciples in Luke 24, I really enjoy this passage He said, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that the repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So you say, wait a second, wait a second. Okay, I understand I'm condemned. I understand I need to be redeemed. And now you're telling me that God sent his son And he provided that redemption that he had to suffer and he had to die and he was risen from the grave. And then he says that redemption, repentance, excuse me, repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed, should be taught, should be preached. Because the scripture tells us in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Right, church? Yes. You will be saved. But it's hard. 
Some of us are in those terrible life circumstances and we don't see how God could love us in our life circumstance. It's hard. Some people truly believe that there is no redemption provided for them. Whatever it is that they have done, they feel it is too great for God to forgive. I'm sure Ruth could have talked herself out of it too. You know what? He probably wouldn't want a foreigner for a wife. He probably wouldn't want a wife who married a guy who ran away from the promised land. I'm sure Ruth could find many reasons, but Boaz gave protection to her. He was an honorable man. He provided for her. He was an honorable man. Just like God has provided for us a redeemer. Our wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Christ will call me his own. He will call us as the church, the bride. He will call us sons and daughters. That scripture I read didn't say not just an adopted son, but a son who is an heir to the promise. A son who is heir to God's inheritance. Not just a son that's left out of the will. Not just a son who's called the son in name only, but truly adopted and truly made an heir with Christ. If you have not figured out who Jesus Christ is, please don't quench the spirit. After the gathering, as people are coming forward for prayer, if you need and have questions about who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us, please come forward. Allow someone to share the scripture with you because we know that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We know that redemption is provided for us. Picking up in verse 10. And he said, this is Boaz's reaction to the startle. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether rich, excuse me, whether poor or rich, And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. And so, as the story, all good stories, right? All good narratives, all good hallmark, there's a problem. She has the courage to do this. It's done, it seems, without any flaw. She goes to him humbly, asks him to take her as his own, and him being the honorable man says, there's one who's supposed to have the right to redeem you before I have the right to redeem you. He explains that her, it's a beautiful thing how she cared for 
uh, Naomi and how it's a beautiful thing that he's asked him to redeem her. And the townspeople say she's worthy, but there is a redeemer that's closer in the family line. Picking up in verse 14, it says, Shows she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment that you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. Now, most commentators here is just really interesting. They didn't want a scandal. They say, you know, he says, let's keep it to ourselves so that I can go to the other kinsman redeemer and see if he's willing to do this. We don't want any problem. Oh, and by the way, I know Naomi sent you. (laughs) So I'm going to send back. This is, they say, 30 to 50 pounds of wheat that she's going to have to carry in her garment home to Naomi. And it's kind of like a way of saying, I agree with the plan that you've put in place. I will do this to the best of my ability. Telling Naomi that he agrees with that proposal. Verse 16. And when she came to her mother-in-law, he said, how did you, excuse me, she said, how did you fare my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me For he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. We know that Boaz was this honorable man. We know that the timeline kind of speeds up here. You know, get ready to meet him, wait to meet him, meet him all night, right? Take the barley, go home. Now it's morning. We know that the story starts to speed up here and things start to happen. We can see that Ruth is being protected and provided for by the Honorable Boaz. This week, right, we know what the Redeemer is now. We know what redemption is. We understand the kinsman Redeemer, but there's this problem. So for next week, The cliffhanger this week was the kinsman redeemer. For next week, it's what are the ramifications of somebody being redeemed, right? What is the picture that we get to see? And that's Ruth chapter four. But as far as for Ruth chapter three and our family month, listen, redemption isn't just, okay, I accept him and I believe. The redemption is an ongoing process within our family lives. Ruth went and found food and brought it back to Naomi. So Naomi was provided for partly through the redemption process that's happening, right? We can work in our families. This is why the church wants to help you and support you and to train you and share God's word with you so that you can help in a slower process, in a smaller process, redeem your family. Point your family in the right direction. Fill your family up with the truth of his word. Share with your children that Jesus Christ died and he is the way and he has provided salvation. He has decided he will be your redeemer. But you have to believe, you have to accept, you have to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. As I stated earlier, we know there's a lot of hurt in the family. I know many of us, myself included, can look at, and I can remember every time 
that I didn't provide that example, not every time, but most times, that I didn't provide that example for my family. I can vividly remember my failures where I didn't provide that small step of redemption for my family. Maybe I was too tired. Maybe I was too busy. Maybe I was preoccupied with what I wanted to do. Maybe I wasn't in agreement with God's will for our family. Just because we can be under his wing, we're still in this broken world. Just because he calls me his own doesn't mean that I'm not still here living in the real world with real problems. Ruth still had a real problem. She needed more food. So he gave her more food. Ruth had a real problem. She was in a situation where she couldn't understand it. She's trapped. You ever felt trapped in your family situation? You ever feel like nobody cares? Nobody wants to help you redeem it. Nobody wants to work with you. We have one who does, church. We have one who does. And we as a church body, we want you to know that we are committed to helping you. We are committed to helping show you God's word. We're committed to silly events to try to give you opportunities to reconnect with your wife. We're committed to events to help you reconnect with your kids. We're committed to events where we teach you God's word so that you can then take that word back and redeem the family in this process of growing more and more on this road to sanctification through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's why we're here. We celebrate what the Lord has done for us on the Lord's day. We thank him for those of us who have accepted that gift that he has given us. We thank him for salvation. But we are still here in this world until he calls us home. And there's still things to be done. Just like Ruth had to prepare herself to meet Boaz. There's still things that need to be done for the family. Will you stand as we pray? Lord, we love you. And we thank you for these gifts and these talents that you've given our church body. Lord, we thank you for your word that you've given us to, to preach and to teach. Lord, we thank you for the gift of the Spirit that moves upon us. Lord, we pray that we as a body would be found faithful, that we would faithfully love the other members of the body of Christ, that we would help support them in their endeavors to grow in your word and grow in community and, and grow in their family and this road, on this path to growing more and more. Lord, we thank you for that opportunity. Lord, we pray that you be with those who will come forward today for prayer and those who will come forward today to hear your word, to understand what salvation is, to understand the redemption that you have provided through your shed blood on the cross. We thank you, Lord. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.